Hello, fellow traveler on this treacherous, mysterious, very long yet very short journey called human incarnation. This is your host, Tanya, and you are listening to the Metamystic Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the fourth episode of the Metamystic Podcast. We're so happy to have you here, and I am very pumped about today's guest because we have one of my besties on the pod today, and uh, it's Kylie Bavenzi. We had a very in-depth conversation about mental health, communication, shame, and everything in between. Before we get too far into that, I just wanted to take a minute to do a little shout out corner and I'm going to be setting aside a little time at the beginning of each episode to draw your attention to content that I'm really digging right now and that's in alignment with what we do here on the Metamystic podcast. So today's shout out corner goes to Jessica Lignato. Uh, She is my favorite astrologer, and her podcast, Ghost of a Podcast, is one of the best out there, in my opinion. Uh, And I wanted to draw your attention to episode number 190, entitled QAnon, Hot Take with Abby Richards. So this podcast episode was about the uh, conspirituality, conspiracy theories, and QAnon infiltrating wellness spaces. Uh, You all know this is a topic that I am very interested in and concerned about, but I even learned a lot about um, some information that I didn't know on this episode Uh, particularly Abby Richards connected the links between, you know, an obsession with purity, like as in purity politics and clean eating and things of that nature to eco-fascism, which was really interesting. There's a lot of really great info on that pod. And generally, I really recommend Ghost of a Podcast um, just for your regular listening, uh, Jessica Lignato is one of the most ethical and socially aware voices in the woo-woo space that we have right now. And when it comes to the stars or tarot or anything like that, uh, Jessica's advice and wisdom is always super on point. So be sure to check her out and support her in any way you can. Okay. To get into today's episode with Kylie, uh, this conversation was a really deep one, and we do talk about some pretty serious subject matter. I wanted to give a heads up that we do speak in a very general sense about the topic of sexual assault, and this is mostly in the context of the ideas surrounding punitive versus restorative justice and things of that nature. So although nothing on that topic is too in-depth about sexual assault specifically, I did just want to give you a heads up to take care of yourself. And if that's not the kind of thing that you want to bring into your consciousness today, that's totally understandable and just do what's right for you, boo. That being said, this is a really deep and important conversation. I think we have all been confronted with our personal relationship 
to mental health in the past year. And so Kylie has a lot to say on that subject. She is a social worker and is in the process of attaining her clinical therapist's license. And she works with a demographic of people uh, who are very young and who have committed serious offenses. And so she has a lot of great information and a lot of wisdom about uh, the state of mental health in our culture, culture generally, um, ideas surrounding wellness, communication, as I said, you know, shame, and everything in between. So I think you're going to love this podcast as much as I loved recording it. And welcome to the Metamystic Podcast, Kylie Bavenzi. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. So um, you are one of my besties and I know you really well, but for our audience who do not know you quite yet, can you just introduce yourself briefly? Totally. So um, my name is Kylie Bovenzi and I'm one of Tanya's best friends, (laughs) but I'm also in my professional life, um, a provisional social worker. So what that means is that I have my master's in social work, and I'm currently working on completing my licensing to be a clinical therapist. So working with kiddos, adolescents with a a range of different problems in a residential setting, doing intensive individual group and family therapy. Um, And yeah, I mean, I guess outside of that, I'm just your average girl, Colorado girl, who loves to drink beer, maybe a little bit of whiskey, um, go see some live music, rest in peace, and just try to get through life. Um, So there's so much I want to cover with you today, but something I definitely want to talk about is the fact that you entered into this profession um, in the middle of a global pandemic. And so can you speak to what it was like to start a profession that focuses heavily on mental health in the midst of one of the biggest mental health crises of um, modern times? I mean, that's a great question. And I think honestly, thing is, is that you don't really know what you're going through as you're going through it, right? Like, we all just can take things a day at a time. And it's hard to really understand the impact that certain things have had on us until we have a little bit of distance from them. And we can really look back and say like, wow, that was crazy, you know, Mm -hmm. or that really impacted me and was difficult. So, I mean, in all honesty, I think like, the rest of us, I really hunkered down at the beginning of 2020. Um, I was finishing my degree, so I was very just focused on that goal in general and trying to roll with the punches as we went, you know, transitioned to remote work, remote work for my um, internship at a hospital. And then when I graduated, I kind of I mean, graduation was canceled. And so that was a thing, you know, and it was just another day. And I pretty much just went directly into searching for a job. 
realistically, my biggest worry was that it was going to be hard to find a job in the pandemic and not even that like, wow, what is your mental health going to look like as you're trying to help these people out, right? And it's taken, I've been at my current job for about eight months and I slowly started to realize the insanity it is to start um, a job in the position where I'm in, which is a very chaotic, stressful, um, just crazy environment for lack of a better word in the midst of a pandemic when, yeah, my own mental health has had its highs and lows. So again, I think it's just getting some distance to be able to look back and realize what it's like to just jump into those types of things before really understanding the full impact. But I think overall, honestly, it's really helpful and it's been helpful to have these overarching goals and things to focus my attention on versus just, sitting in my own feelings and feeling overwhelmed about the state of the world. Um, yeah, it's nice to be able to focus on other people and care for other people because it makes you feel good for one. And it also allows you a little bit of a break from your own um, interior constant thoughts. What are some things that you've learned about communication throughout working in this field in the last couple of months and just in your training as a social worker in general? Totally. Um, I mean, I think to start with what I've learned in the last couple of months, I think we all like to estimate, overestimate, and maybe this is just me, but I, I was a, always a really good student for the mm -hmm. most part. And I think it was easy to kind of overestimate my abilities to be a good communicator when in theory, like in classes um, and amongst peers and colleagues. And in a lot of ways, I've really been forced to come to terms with the areas that I still can grow and I can still cultivate. And I think especially with this population um, and, and really, in any relationship, I think boundaries are so, so important. And it's very, very easy for us to be like, yeah, I practice healthy boundaries, you know, but then the moment that someone asks us something, asks something of us, and there's a part of us that feels kind of uncomfortable, but we're like, well, I don't want to disappoint them. And yeah. then we're willing yeah. to kind of move that around. Like we do that all of the time. And so what I've learned in this job so far is how important it is that even if you feel a little twinge of discomfort initially saying, no, I'm not okay with that. Like that's not appropriate. Um, in general too, I've also learned that people just communicate differently and that's okay, right? Like I may be more of a direct communicator and I also know that I tend to try to say positive things about people, right? So like, if I have a client who is really struggling in one area, I'll be like, wow, you've made all this progress in X, Y, and Z. And, you know, I'm noticing this, right? And it's not always helpful to go around the issue, right? Like, sometimes you need to just have a very frank conversation that is direct and letting people know what your needs are. Um, and yeah, that's a lot of what we talk about with communication, boundaries and making sure your needs are met in an appropriate and healthy way. Yeah, 
I think boundaries can be so hard for so many people, especially, you know, women who are socialized to be more agreeable and feel like that's the, um, the preferable <laughs> demeanor to have, especially say like in a professional setting. Um, but in my experience, that's almost the opposite of what most people want. Um, I, I think early on into starting my career, I suffered from a lot of imposter syndrome. And so I just wanted to be as agreeable as possible um, and not really rock the boat, right? But when I really learned to establish healthy boundaries with clients, which is something you absolutely have to do as a lawyer, um, I, I feel that my clients respected me more and they felt more safe with me because they actually knew what their role in the relationship was and they weren't still trying to figure it out with me. Um, you know, the power dynamics were pretty set from the beginning. And I think that that can apply to, you know, the professional world or interpersonal relationships as well. Totally. And I, I completely see that with my kids too. I mean, it's very much that even though they want to push boundaries, they want to test limits, they like seek that power and control. Ultimately, many, uh, nine times out of 10, the families that they're coming from, the communities that they're living in, they aren't feeling safe, right? Like they have inconsistent caregivers or they have inconsistent parenting approaches where they just can't trust what people say. They're constantly trying to figure out what they need to do to make sure that they survive, right? And so as much as like anyone can try to be pushing boundaries and, and trying to like test all of that stuff, the more that you can be firm in, in what your expectations are, what you're willing to accept and what you're not willing to accept. And the more that you can be consistent, you're creating the consistency that people that struggle with that consistency can build off from, right? Versus like mm -hmm. if you're con continually kind of backtracking, um, changing your position, you, you're making people not feel safe or comforted or comfortable because how do they know how to respond or react in a situation when it's constantly changing, right? Mm -hmm. And well, that might be what some people are used to is like a chaotic environment. Unfortunately, that can really contribute to a lot of mental health problems and issues in interpersonal relationships. Um, and so as much as you can role model, like consistency, safety, stability, the better, right? And it starts with knowing what your boundaries are and being okay with being very direct about those things, which I'm also grateful for this job. I mean, like talking about traditional social socialization, um, you know, I'm in a largely male facility. There's one other female therapist there. Um, and we're doing offense specific work, which is work around kids who have sexually abused others um, at some point in their life, you know? And so it's even more important to not fall into some of those traditional norms per se and be agreeable and enable behavior. Like you really have to take a strong stance when confronting those types of things. I was listening to a podcast recently that was talking about, it's like a treatise on nonviolent communication. Did you guys ever run across anything like that when you were doing your training? 
Honestly, I can't say that I've looked that much into it. So I don't want to necessarily speak on it too much, but maybe if you can give me a little bit of information, I might be able to relate to it. I don't know too much about it, but I keep hearing it. You know how you'll hear about something that kind of piques your interest and then it seems like everywhere you go, the universe is just pointing you in that direction. It seems like I've heard about that like five different times in the last couple of weeks. But um, yeah, it sounds like a really interesting concept because I think a lot of it applies to like not only political rhetoric, which really, really probably could be relevant right now. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But um, just interpersonally as well, obviously. Um, And I think the basis of it is if we don't agree on the problem, we're never going to agree on the solution is kind of the central concept of it. And so being able to um, begin a nonviolent dialogue about what an, a problem actually really is or what a conflict really is about is kind of the beginning and the bridge to any kind of sustainable solution, whether yeah. it be, you know, socially or just in your personal relationships. Well, and I can definitely see that um, just as far as like perspective taking and empathy goes, right? Like. Mm-hmm. I can't speak exactly to what you're talking about, but I, what I can speak to is this idea that truly problem solving starts with seeking to understand another person's point of view, right? And you can validate another person's point of view without agreeing with what they are saying or what they are doing, right? You know, like you can understand why someone may feel a certain way and also at the same time, let them know that you don't agree with how they are acting out those emotions or how they are reacting to those emotions. And I think you can really look at that in terms of trauma even. Like we see a lot of associations between trauma, whether that's physical abuse, sexual abuse, neglect, um, living in poverty, being just traumatic experiencing experiences, being witness to those types of things. And we see the correlation between those experiences and then quote unquote, like negative behaviors. So behavioral problems, um, like a lot of the aggression that I was referencing earlier, you can clearly see the connection, right? Like this is why this person is responding this way. And you also don't have to condone it, right? Like you don't have to say, I know that you are acting this way because of what you've experienced and it's okay. You can validate their experience and what it has done to their development. And you can also hold them accountable for what's in their control with how they act and react now. Um, And I think a big part of that is being able to take other people's perspective to increase our perspective as much as possible and try to look at problems from all perspectives. And even if you can't necessarily agree on the root cause of the problem, agree to have an open mind when it comes to evaluating different ways to solve the problem, right? And not like just sticking with your preconceived notions or expectations about what can or cannot be helpful in that moment, acknowledging that there's other people involved and those people are different. They have different expectations and perspectives, and those need to be a part of the 
problem solving process as well. And I think also part of the problem is just a very, a culture focused so much on shame. Like with my kids, especially, we talk a lot about the difference between shame and guilt, healthy guilt, right? Like we, I work with my kids to understand the impact their actions had on their victims. Like they need to know how sexually abusing someone can and will impact them for the rest of their life. They need to know how it impacts their families. They need to know how it impacts their communities. They need to know how it impacts their personal families and communities, right? Like they need to know those things. And that's not to shame them into this pool of feeling like a failure, feeling like a piece of shit, um, feeling terrible about, terrible about themselves, but it's to allow them to increase their ability to have empathy for other people. Because if they can emotionally connect with the impact that they've had on others, that allows them to have that emotion, have that feeling in the future, that they're less likely to reoffend, right? If I approached our sessions by just being like, you should be ashamed of yourself, like you will never be able to get past this. These people will never be able to move on. Like if I tried to instill shame in them, shame is not a motivating emotion. Shame makes us close in on ourselves. It feeds our desires to avoid. It feeds our desires to shut ourselves off from our feelings, which literally produces the opposite effect, right? Like if I can't connect to my own emotional depth, how am I going to connect to someone else's emotional depth if I'm abusing them in some way, whether it's through my words or actions, right? Like, so I think that's another issue that we're seeing currently is that there is a lot of divisiveness and there's a lot of shame associated with it. Like we wanna shame people into thinking differently, into doing things differently. And I just don't think that's the answer. You know, I don't think that it's all or nothing. And I don't think that we can shame people into thinking or feeling or understanding why we feel the way that we feel. Yeah, I think that's a really important connection because I can see a direct correlation between what you do and how, well, your example of if you were going to go in and completely just berate one of your clients about yeah. uh, their past actions, how ineffective that'd be, um, how many of us approach someone from a different political party or who use the role differently than us with that same kind of mentality. And again, I think it comes down to, do we agree on not only the problem, but the solution that we wanna see? Like, do we really want to all agree and come together and work this thing out and build a better world for everyone involved? Or are we just stuck in that shame cycle and wanting to be right and wanting to get likes on social media about our posts? That being said, I think that in, accountability is important and um, shame can be a very motivating emotion at the same time. I mean, you look at like the Ted Cruz example from just last week. If, if that would have been Donald Trump, for example, he would have been like, whatever, suckers stay in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going where it's warm. I'm, it could, because he literally feels no shame as far as I'm concerned, but um, I mean, at least with a politician like Ted Cruz, people dunking on him in the thousands is enough for him to be like, oh, no, that, that was wrong. Um, yeah. 
go fly back to Texas and try to at least make it look like he's helping. So it's, yeah. yeah. When I, you know, I don't want to, I know I want to endorse not holding people accountable. Like, mm -hmm. I think that's, that's absolutely the key to all of this. Right. And like going back to a micro level with my clients, accountability is truly like a cornerstone of their treatment. Like it's so important for them to be able to take full accountability without justifying their actions, without blaming other people, um, without minimizing their actions, like full on accountability. I chose to do this. These were the impacts. Um, this is why I no longer want to engage in those behaviors. And I think that that's what, when I talk about like shame and a healthy, healthy dose of guilt, right? That's, that's, those are the differences. It's like, it's good to hold people accountable and it's good that people were like, Ted Cruz, what's up? Like this does not look good. And he's like, right. oh, I'm dropping my kids off in Mexico, you know, like, yeah, absolutely. We need to call people out and hold them accountable. Mm -hmm. And I think that the issue that I have had generally with cancel culture is that there is no movement forward, right? Yeah. And it's like, so what do we wanna do? Do we just wanna say fuck you and cancel people and then not allow them to think about how their actions might impact others and try to move forward? Or do we wanna like invite them to reflect on what their behaviors have done, what those impacts have been and to invite them to listen about how they can maybe rectify that situation, you know? And I think mm -hmm. we can even see that when we're talking about like our criminal justice system, like the juvenile justice system wholeheartedly is about rehabilitation. It's yeah. about, yeah. let's have you be accountable. Let's have you increase your self-awareness. Let's give you the tools and the education and the knowledge, hopefully not make these same mistakes, right? And then once you turn 18, it's very, suddenly punitive. And that's not across the board, right? Like I'm very much generalizing, but there's this idea that you should just know better by a certain time in your life and that you don't have, if you're, if you mess up, then like, it's just done for, you know? And I don't think that that is a mindset that is inviting to the general population to try to, um, test boundaries and to get outside of their comfort zone. Like talk about vulnerability. Right? Like if we're living in a culture that says that if you do something outside of your comfort zone and you make a misstep, that means that you'll never have another chance again. Like how are people gonna wanna try to think or act differently? They're probably gonna wanna stick with their same group of people that think and act the same way that they do and just affirm what they're doing and don't hold them accountable or confront them for anything, right? And then that doesn't do us any favors. Like across the board, you know, I would hope that the people I surround myself point out to me if I'm really royally doing something wrong. Like I want to know that and I want to be comfortable enough with those people to know that I can try to change those things and that they respect me enough to believe that I can change those things. And I think we've just really been immersed in this whole idea that people should know better all of the time. And that means that if they make a mistake, they're immediately canceled and there's nothing that they could say or do that would make up for anything at all. And like that, it's just, that's just not a society or culture that encourages people to 
try and to think outside of the box and to grow and to make mistakes and to learn from them and to move forward, right? It just kind of encourages us to stick with what we know and to not move outside of that at all. Yeah. So obviously you're dealing with some very heavy subject matters on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and I, I do for my job as well. And um, my first couple of years working in my field, I definitely struggled with what they call compassion fatigue or mm -hmm. just bringing home the really sad stories with me. Uh, how are you doing with that? And what strategies are you using to try to disconnect and focus on um, your home life being separate from your work life? Oh, gosh, that's the question, right? So, I mean, here's the deal, like it's tough. It's, I have a tough job. You have a tough job. We all have tough things that we move through in life. And I think that the biggest, most helpful thing for me has to just been to try to have a lot of compassion for myself. And, you know, because like, yeah, in school, they just kind of pounded into you like, boundaries, 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 you got to leave work at work and be at home when you're at home and you can't get burnt out and you're going to get burnt out. So you have to also like do yoga and you have to have a therapist and you need to also make sure that you're doing these 60 things every day to take care of yourself or you can't help other people. And it's like, it's truly not as simple as that, you know? And I think at first I was like, wow, I am like failing at this because I, I would, I would come home and I would be thinking about these kids and thinking about like, am I qualified to do this? Can I help them? And, or just feeling like cell shock from, you know, whatever events transpired that day and new experiences. And I think that the, the key has been to just like have some compassion and understand again, that it's not gonna be all or nothing. Like every day is different. You have to be willing to check in with yourself every day. What is your energy level? What is your mood? What's going on in other aspects of your life? How's your family? How's your significant other? You know, like, how are you physically feeling? You have to be able to check in with those things and be okay. Like if you have a day that is lower energy and you're feeling drained and you can't get up and work out in the morning, it's, truly not helpful at all to then punish yourself for not working out because it's going to impact your ability to like helpful to other people you know and so I've really just tried to be as flexible as possible and to notice and be accepting when I notice that I'm off work and I'm thinking about these things or if I'm really emotional if I've had a really tough interaction with a client and it takes me a couple of days to shake that off, just being okay with that and understanding that it's part of the process. And for me to avoid those feelings or suppress them is just going to lead them, lead them to being kind of snowballed. And then eventually it's going to come out in some other way. And so just accepting every day as it is, and then trying to keep up with some sort of um, consistent way to just be present with myself. I think that's when the biggest piece is like really trying to be present. Um, I think I love Brene Brown. I listen to a lot of mm -hmm. her content and she had this 
episode about over and under functioning, which I really, really resonated with and I loved. And the idea was that like, we all typically respond to stress and anxiety by either over-functioning or under-functioning. So under-functioning people will kind of shrink inside of themselves. They'll like really feel like they can't make a choice. They'll really depend a lot on the people around them to direct and, and tell them what they need to do to solve a problem. Over-functioners tend to be like, well, I'm going to do this, 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 and this, and fill up every single moment of their entire day so that they don't have to deal with the emotions they're feeling, and they can just be doing constantly. And I've definitely come to re realize that I tend to be an over-functioner, you know, like I love to schedule, I love my planner, I love to be like, I'm going to get up and I'm going to do yoga and then make my coffee and then I'm going to journal, I'm going to read every night for 15 minutes, I'm going to call my mom, I'm going to text my friends and all of this stuff is going to make it so I don't have to deal with hard emotions and it's like, no, like, you still have to deal with those hard emotions, you know, and so I think the biggest step has been to become more aware of how I respond to stress and anxiety and to understand where that motivation is coming from and to lean back a little bit and allow myself the time to just like sit with my thoughts and feelings and realize that it's, it's okay to be scared and it's okay to be overwhelmed and it's okay to be depleted and tired or irritated. And those things just need to happen and you need to allow them to happen so that you can hopefully work through them or realize that they're temporary, right? You know, because feelings are temporary. Um, and the more that we avoid them, the longer we're guaranteeing that they're going to hang around. Because if we just allow ourselves to be in it, we can either eventually come up with a solution to whatever problem is giving us anxiety, or we can realize that they come and go and that's okay. And that doesn't have to, we don't have to take in everything we feel and marry it to ourselves and have it become our identity, you know? So somewhere a balance between routine, trying to take time for myself being okay with, I don't always have to be functioning at the optimal level. I just have to do my best and whatever my best is that day. Yeah, absolutely. And we are getting a little bit closer to the end, but um, one of my final questions for you is as someone that works in mental health um, and in a world where a lot of people are struggling with mental health right now, I'm sure someone listening to this podcast might be having a hard time. I know the go-to answer is typically get a therapist if you can. Unfortunately, that's not always a super feasible um, option for a lot of us, even some of us who have insurance, it doesn't necessarily cover therapy or consistent therapy. Although I will say I highly recommend therapy if anyone can get it. But aside from just seeing a therapist, what are some um, good tips that you would give to someone struggling with mental health and maybe some resources that you know of that are out there for people? Yeah, I mean, I think that as cliche as it sounds, really leaning into what makes you feel good. And like I said before, I mean, I think that avoidance is something that we all do so readily. So taking the time to journal, even if it's like every day, 
you write down, you commit to writing one sentence about how your day was, taking the time to check in with yourself, you know, and I think as a culture, we're so, it's so easy to reach for your phone. It's so easy to watch Netflix. It's so easy to take a drink. It's so easy to call up friends. It's, there's so many things that we can do other than just sit and be with ourselves. And so if you can give yourself that time, as scary as it might feel, I think that a lot of people would be surprised at some of the answers that they can find if they just allow themselves to be with themselves, be with their thoughts, be with the present moment. Um, I think another thing that is super helpful um, for myself and, and for a lot of my clients is physical activity. Um, I mean, we could get into a whole thing, but I know you had a previous guest that talked a little bit about the autonomic nervous system. So the parasympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system. And we're pretty much chronically in a state of the sympathetic nervous system being turned on, which is just dumping stress hormones throughout our body um, and just kind of wreaking havoc. And so physical exercise is one activity that we can do that can help turn on the parasympathetic nervous system, which releases hormones that make us feel relaxed, um, calm, just overall promote this feeling of, of just relaxation. It's where we rest and digest is what it is called. Um, so physical exercise is really helpful for that. Breath work, again, like your previous guest was talking, helps to activate the parasympathetic nervous system. So even just taking a couple deep breaths, if you're noticing that you're feeling really chaotic and anxious in your body and your mind, um, specifically having a longer exhale than inhale helps to activate that system. Um, and I also think community, like mm -hmm. when we're looking at these areas in the world, they call them blue zones where communities live for a really long time, like a weirdly long time all over the world, right? Some of the commonalities that they found is A, um, movement, body movement is just naturally in their day. So they're not like, I'm gonna work out four times a week. They're actively doing things every day, whether it's in their job or with their community that keeps them up and moving. So movement of some sort, but also community, like actively spending time with their family, with their extended family, with their neighbors, with their church, with their um, community groups, whatever it is, having that connection can be so helpful in just allowing us to get outside of ourselves a little bit. Um, and I think also recommending like being able to care for other people, especially when we're really stuck in our own mindset of how difficult things are for ourselves, the act of caring for someone else can be really stabilizing and can help us um, stretch that mindset a little bit. Yeah, I mean, all of, all of the above. And I will say there's a lot of super wonderful books out there. I mean, I think that self-help books kind of get a little bit of a, um, some shade thrown at them, but if you're someone that, knowledge is helpful. I think that there's a lot of materials you can read that can really help you to start to think about things a little bit differently. Um, I know for myself, one book that I really have loved is um, Full Catastrophe Living by John Kabat-Zinn, and it's all about mindfulness-based 
stress reduction, which like full disclosure, very much based on um, Eastern traditions like Buddhism. However, it just is really helpful to start to kind of stretch how you're thinking about your problems and how you can hopefully find solutions for yourself. So being willing to gather information to just kind of shake up your shit a little bit. You know, we get like so solidified in how we think about things that any extra stimuli, extra information that can kind of break that up and allow us to create new ways of thinking, I think can be super, super helpful. Um, so all of the above. And honestly, community mental health centers, people, okay? They are in communities across the United States. They are there for people who have Medicaid. They are there for people who need to pay on a sliding scale. Um, and I would 100% recommend also looking at websites like Psychology Today because you can find private providers who are willing to accept sliding scale or even potentially like pro bono cases because it's really important in the ethics of mental health professionals that everyone is able to access these resources. So don't give up if you feel like you can't access them. Keep looking, um, get your Google on, check out your community mental health centers and try to find resources that you can connect to that are free or at least reduced cost because it is important and you're important and it's important that you take the time for yourself and to care for yourself because that's what this is about, right? Like we have hopefully loving families that care for us as we are children and eventually we have to figure out how to do that for ourselves and that's a big step is being able to figure out what you need so just keep exploring and finding those things that's a super important point and also guys if you're not on medicaid then you better be fighting for medicare for all because we all need this mental health treatment um i was just visiting with my boyfriend's uh mom and brother who are both therapists and they tell their clients constantly who are on Medicaid, like you're getting better therapy than I can even get with my insurance. So Medicare for all guys, it's very important. That's just my political PSA for the day. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, Kylie, do you have any like last thoughts that you wanna leave our audience with? <laughs> I think just that you are all, loved and I I mean the first step in figuring this all out is having radical acceptance like we are literally unable to progress forward unless we accept where we're at today right not tomorrow not 10 years from now not five years ago right you have to accept where you're at today and that's the only way to be able to have any chance to move forward so I could encourage everyone is just to continue with that mindset um, and accept themselves and have compassion for themselves and let the journey evolve from there. Kylie, thank you so much for being on the pod. I love you. Thank you. I love you. <laughs> Thanks for tuning into the MetaMystic Podcast. You can connect with us online on Instagram at the handle at MetaMysticPod. You can connect with me, Tanya, at work on Instagram, or you can shoot us an email at metamysticpod at gmail.com. 
Until next time, be good to people, be good to yourself, stay away from cults, and take some time today to get hella meta. Bye.